Chapter Four of Russian Fairy Tales by William Ralston Shedden Ralston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Part Two. With the prince, without the tutor, there'd be no difficulty in settling matters, she said to herself. But whatever slanders she might invent, Prince Ivan never would allow himself to be influenced by what she said, but always felt sorry for his tutor. At the end of a year he said to his wife one day, "'Beautiful princess, my beloved spouse, I should like to go with you to my own kingdom.' "'By all means,' replied she, "'let us go.' I myself have long been wishing to see your kingdom. Well, they got ready and went off. Katoma was allotted the post of coachman. They drove and drove, and as they drove along, Prince Ivan went to sleep. Suddenly the Princess Anna, the fair, awoke him, uttering loud complaints. Listen, Prince, you're always sleeping. You hear nothing, but your tutor doesn't obey me a bit, drives the horses on purpose over hill and dale, just as if he wanted to put an end to us both. I tried speaking him fair, but he jeered at me. I won't go on living any longer if you don't punish him. Prince Ivan, twixt sleeping and waking, waxed very wroth with his tutor, and handed him over entirely to the princess, saying, Do with him as you please. The princess ordered his feet to be cut off. Katoma submitted patiently to the outrage, very good, he thinks. I shall suffer, it's true, but the prince will also know what to lead a wretched life is like. When both of Katoma's feet had been cut off, the princess glanced around and saw that a tall tree stump stood on one side. So she called her servants and ordered them to set him on that stump. But as for Prince Ivan, she tied him to the carriage by a cord, turned the horses round, and drove back to her own kingdom. Katoma was left sitting on the stump, weeping bitter tears. "'Farewell, Prince Ivan,' he cries. "'You won't forget me.' Meanwhile Prince Ivan was running and bounding behind the carriage. He knew well enough by this time what a blunder he had made, but there was no turning back for him. When the Princess Anna the Fair arrived in her kingdom, she set Prince Ivan to take care of cows. Every day he went afield with the herd at early morn, in the evening he drove them back to the royal yard. At that hour the princess was always sitting on the balcony and looking out to see that the number of the cows were all right. Katoma remained sitting on the stump one day, two days, three days, without getting anything to eat or drink. To get down was utterly impossible. It seemed as if he must die of starvation. But not far away from that place there was a dense forest, in that forest was living a mighty hero who was quite blind. The only way which he could get himself food was this. Whenever he perceived by the sense of smell that any animal was running past him, whether a hare or a fox or a bear, he immediately started in chase of it, caught it, and dinner was ready for him. The hero was exceedingly swift-footed, and there was not a single wild beast which could run away from him. Well, one day it fell out thus— a fox slunk past. The hero heard it, was after it directly. It ran up to the tall stump and turned sharp off on one side. But the blind hero hurried on, took a spring, and thumped his forehead against the stump so hard that he knocked the stump out by the roots. Katoma fell to the ground and asked, "'Who are you?' 
I am a blind hero. I have been living in the forest for thirty years. The only way I can get my food is this, to catch some game or other, and cook it at a wood-fire. If it had not been for that, I should have been starving to death long ago. You haven't been blind all your life? No, not all my life, but Princess Anna the Fair put my eyes out. There now, brother, says Katoma, and it's thanks to her, too, that I'm left here without any feet. She cut them off, the accursed one. The two heroes had a talk, and agreed to live together, and join in getting their food. The blind man says to the lame, "'Sit on my back and show me the way. I will serve you with my feet, and you me with your eyes.' So he took the cripple and carried him home, and Katoma sat on his back, kept a lookout all round, and cried out from time to time, "'Right, left, straight on,' and so forth. Well, they lived some time in the forest in that way, and caught hares, foxes, and bears for their dinner. One day the cripple says, "'Surely we can never go on living all our lives without a soul to speak to. I have heard that in such and such a town lives a rich merchant who has a daughter, and that the merchant's daughter is exceedingly kind to the poor and crippled. She gives alms to every one. Suppose we carry her off, brother, and let her live here and keep house for us.' The blind man took a cart, seated the cripple in it, and rattled off into the town, straight into the rich merchant's courtyard. The merchant's daughter saw them out of a window, and immediately ran out and came to give them alms. Approaching the cripple, she said, "'Take this in Christ's name, poor fellow.' He seemed to be going to take the gift, but he seized her by the hand, pulled her into the cart, and called to the blind man, who ran off with it at such a pace that no one could catch him, even on horseback. The merchant sent people in pursuit, but no, they could not come up with him. The heroes brought the merchant's daughter into their forest hut and said to her, Be in the place of a sister to us. Live here and keep house for us. Otherwise we poor sufferers will have no one to cook our meals or wash our shirts. God won't desert you if you do that. The merchant's daughter remained with them, the heroes suspected her, loved her, acknowledged her as a sister. They used to be out hunting all day, but their adopted sister was always at home. She looked after all the housekeeping, prepared the meals, washed the linen. But after a time a Baba Yaga took to haunting their hut and sucking the breasts of the merchant's daughter. No sooner had the heroes gone off to the chase than the Baba Yaga is there in a moment. Before long the fair maiden's face began to fall away, and she grew weak and thin. The blind man could see nothing, but Katoma remarked that things weren't going well. He spoke about it to the blind man, and they went together to their adopted sister and began questioning her. But the Baba Yaga had strictly forbidden her to tell the truth. For a long time she was afraid to acquaint them with her trouble. For a long time she held out, but at last her brothers talked her over, and she told them everything without reserve. "'Every time you go away to the chase,' says she, "'there immediately appears in the cottage a very old woman with a most evil face and long gray hair, and she sets me to dress her head, and meanwhile she sucks my breasts.' "'Ah,' said the blind man, "'that's a Baba Yaga. Wait a bit. We must treat her after her own fashion. Tomorrow we won't go to the chase, but we'll try to entice her and lay hands on her.' So the next day the heroes didn't go out hunting. "'Now then, Uncle Footless,' says the blind man, "'you get under the bench and lie there ever so still, and I'll go into the yard and stand under the window. And as for you, sister, 
and the Baba Yaga comes, sit down just here, close by the window, and as you dress her hair, quietly separate the locks and throw them outside through the window. Just let me lay hold of her by those gray hairs of hers. What was said was done. The blind man laid hold of the Baba Yaga by her gray hair, and cried, Ho there, Uncle Katoma! Come out from under the bench and lay hold of this viper of a woman while I go into the hut. The Baba Yaga hears the bad news and tries to jump up and get her head free. Where are you off to? That's no good, sure enough. She tugs and tugs, but cannot do herself any good. Just then from under the bench crawled Uncle Katoma, fell upon her like a mountain of stone, took to strangling her until the heavens seemed to her to disappear. Then into the cottage bounded the blind man, crying to the cripple, "'Now we must heap up a great pile of wood and consume this accursed one with fire and fling her ashes to the wind.' The Baba Yaga began imploring them, "'My fathers, my darlings, forgive me. I will do all that is right.' "'Very good, old witch. Then show us the fountain of healing and life-giving water,' said the heroes. "'Only don't kill me, and I'll show it to you directly.' Well, Katoma sat on the blind man's back. The blind man took the Baba Yaga by her black hair, and she led them into the depths of the forest, brought them to a well, and said, "'That is the water that cures and gives life.' "'Look out, Uncle Katoma,' cried the blind man. "'Don't make a blunder. If she tricks us now, we shan't get right all our lives.' Katoma cut a green branch off a tree and flung it into the well. The bough hadn't so much as reached the water, before it all burst into a flame. "'Ha! So you're still up to your tricks,' said the heroes, and began to strangle the Baba Yaga with the intention of flinging her, the accursed one, into the fiery fount. More than ever did the Baba Yaga implore for mercy, swearing a great oath that she would not deceive them this time. "'On my troth I will bring you to good water,' says she. The heroes consented to give her one more trial, and she took them to another fount. Uncle Katoma cut a dry spray from a tree and flung it into the fount. The spray had not yet reached the water when it already turned green, budded, and put forth blossoms. "'Come now, that's good water,' said Katoma. The blind man wetted his eyes with it and saw directly. He lowered the cripple into the water, and the lame man's feet grew again. Then they both rejoiced greatly and said to one another, "'Now the time has come for us to get all right.' We'll get everything back again we used to have. Only first we must make an end of the Baba Yaga. If we were to pardon her now, we should always be unlucky. She'd be scheming mischief all her life. Accordingly, they went back to the fiery fount and flung the Baba Yaga into it. Didn't it soon make an end of her? After this, Katoma married the merchant's daughter, and the three companions went to the kingdom of Anna the Fair in order to rescue Prince Ivan. When they drew near the capital, what should they see but Prince Ivan driving a herd of cows? "'Stop, herdsman,' says Katoma. "'Where are you driving those cows?' "'I'm driving them to the princess's courtyard,' replied the prince. "'The princess always sees for herself whether all the cows are there.' "'Here, herdsman, take my clothes and put them on, and I will put on yours and drive the cows.' "'No, brother, that cannot be done. If the princess found out, I should suffer harm.' "'Never fear. Nothing will happen. Katoma will guarantee you that.' Prince Ivan sighed and said, "'I should not have been feeding these cows afield.' Then Katoma disclosed to him who he was, 
Prince Ivan warmly embraced him and burst into tears. "'I never hoped even to see you again,' said he. So they exchanged clothes. The tutor drove the cows to the princess's courtyard. Anna the fair went into the balcony, looked to see if all the cows were there, and ordered them to be driven into the sheds. All the cows went into the sheds, except the last one, which remained at the gate. Katoma sprang at it, exclaiming, "'What are you waiting for, dog's meat?' Then he seized it by the tail, and pulled it so hard that he pulled the cow's hide right off it. The princess saw this, and cried with a loud voice, "'What is that brute of a cowherd doing? Seize him, and bring him to me!' Then the servants seized Katoma, and dragged him to the palace. He went with them, making no excuses, relying on himself. They brought him to the princess. She looked at him, and asked, "'Who are you? Where do you come from?' "'I am he whose feet you cut off.' and whom you did set on a stump. My name is Katoma, Dyadka, Oaken Shapka. Well, thinks the princess, now that he's got his feet back again, I must act straightforwardly with him for the future. And she began to beseech him and the prince to pardon her. She confessed all her sins, and swore an oath to love Prince Ivan, and to obey him in all things. Prince Ivan forgave her, and began to live with her in peace and concord, the hero, who had been blind, remained with them, but Katoma and his wife went to the house of her father, the rich merchant, and took up their abode under his roof. Of this story there are many variants. In one of them a king promises to reward with vast wealth any one who will find him a bride fairer than the sun, brighter than the moon, and whiter than snow. A certain mujik named Nikita Koltoma offers to show him where a princess lives, who answers to his description, and he goes forth with him in search of her. On the way Nikita enters several forges, desiring to have a war-mace cast for him, and in one of them he finds fifty smiths tormenting an old man. Ten of them are holding him by the beard with pinchers, the others are thundering away at his ribs with their hammers. Finding that the cause of this punishment is an unpaid debt of fifty roubles, Nikita ransoms the gray beard, who straightway disappears. Nikita obtains the mace he wants, which weighs fifty poods, or nearly a ton, and leaves the forge. Presently the old man, whom he has ransomed, comes running up to him, thanks him for having rescued him from a punishment which had already lasted thirty years and bestows on him, as a token of gratitude, a cap of invisibility. Soon after this Nikita, attended by the king and his followers, reaches the palace of the royal heroine, Helena the Fair. She at first sends her warriors to capture or slay the unwelcome visitors, but Nikita attacks them with his mace, and leaves scarce one alive. Then she invites the king and his suite to the palace, having prepared in the meantime a gigantic bow fitted with a fiery arrow, wherewith to annihilate her guests. Guessing this, Nikita puts on his cap of invisibility, bends the bow, and shoots the arrow into the queen's terema, the woman's chambers, and in a moment the whole upper story is in a blaze. After that the queen submits and is married to the king. But Nikita warns him that for three nights running his bride will make trial of his strength, by laying her hand on his breast and pressing it hard, so hard that he will not be able to bear the pressure. When that happens he must slip out of the room, and let Nikita take his place. 
All this comes to pass. The bride lays her hand on the bridegroom's breast and says, "'Is my hand heavy?' "'As a feather on water,' replies the king, who can scarcely draw his breath beneath the crushing weight of the hand he has won. Then he leaves the room under the pretext of giving an order, and Nikita takes his place. The queen renews the experiment, presses with one hand, presses with both, and with all her might. Nikita catches her up and then flings her down on the floor. The room shakes beneath the blow. The bride arises, lies down quietly, and goes to sleep and Nikita is replaced by the king. By the end of the third night the queen gives up all hope of squeezing her husband to death, and makes up her mind to conjugal submission. But before long she, like Brunhilde, finds out that she has been tricked, and resolves on revenge. Throwing Nikita into a slumber which lasts twenty-four hours, she has his feet cut off and sets him adrift in a boat, then she degrades her husband, turning him into a swineherd, and she puts out the eyes of Nikita's brother, Timofey. In the course of time the brothers obtain from a Baba Yaga the healing and vivifying waters, and so recover the eyes and feet they have lost. The witch-queen is put to death, and Nikita lives happily as the king's prime minister. The specific actions of the two waters are described with great precision in this story, when the lame man sprinkles his leg with the healing water, they become whole at once. His legs are quite sound, only they don't move. Then he applies the vivifying water, and the use of his legs returns to him. Similarly, when the blind man applies the healing waters to his empty orbits, he obtains new eyes, perfectly faultless eyes, only he cannot see with them. He applies the vivifying water, and begins to see even better than before. In a Ryazan variant of the story, Ivan dearly bought, after his legs have been cut off at the knees, and he has been left in a forest, is found by a giant who has no arms, but who is so fleet that no post could catch him up. The two maimed heroes form an alliance. After a time they carry off a princess who is suffering from some mysterious disease, and take her to their forest home, she tells them that her illness is due to a snake, which comes to her every night, entering by the chimney, and sucks away her strength. The heroes seize the snake, which takes them to the healing lake, and they are cured. Then they restore the princess, also cured, to her father. Ivan returns to the palace of the enchantress queen who had maimed him, and beats her with red-hot iron bars until he has driven out of her all her magic strength leaving her only one woman's strength, and that a very poor one. In a Tula variant, the wicked wife, who has set her confiding husband to tend her pigs, is killed by the hero. She had put out his eyes, and had cut off the feet of another companion of her husband. In this variant also the healing waters are found by the aid of a snake. End of Part 2 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com dot com